0: Welcome. You're listening to the CMS podcast, where legal experts and
1: industry leaders give you key insights on current legal topics. In today's podcast, Gordon Einstein, a partner at Crypto Law Partners, talks about the Reg A plus regulation in the USA. The podcast is recorded during the tokenized assets conference in Amsterdam. Please visit our podcast channel for other podcasts in this series. Enjoy the podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Gordon Einstein from Crypto Law Partners and I always like to do a fast little poll at the beginning of a presentation. So, just raise your hand. If you're nervous about the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, raise your hand. If you're not nervous, you got a problem, you should raise your hand. Okay, fine, raise your hand. Um, If you believe that there's no such thing as a utility token, Raise your hand. Okay, Here's another one. If you think that the SEC in the US has the right to decide what is and is not a security on its own, raise your hand. Okay, Who's not? Raise your hand if you're not going to raise your hand no matter what I say. So just be clear. I came here all the way from Los Angeles. So that's traffic to LAX. And that by itself was its own little flight. Okay, so, you know, hey, be nice to the foreigner. Okay, so I'm I'm a fast-talking dude. We're just going to dive into it. I'm going to talk about how you can do... Oh, here's another one. Who thinks that there has been a compliant STO in the United States yet? See, you hear that thump? That's like a mic drop. Okay. we will we'll just keep going here. So I'm going to be speaking about a SEC regulation, a Securities and Exchange Commission regulation, that has a lot of potential for being used for conducting regulated STOs in the United States and also, contrary maybe to something that was said on a couple panels ago, and also can be used to conduct a compliant utility token ICO in the United States. Hmm, I guess ICOs maybe aren't dead. I'm also gonna throw out here that if you add me on LinkedIn or, or send me an email or message, I'm happy to send you this entire deck. Okay, so you're welcome to take photos of it. I don't mind, but you can get the entire deck in PDF form, you know, five minutes after the presentation if you just add me on LinkedIn and send me a message. Okay, so there's this company called Blockstack, and in the U.S., they filed for permission to conduct an A-plus offering in the U.S., and that filing, that request with the SEC has been pending for a few months. It should should come out anytime. any time. They've done a very good job and answered all the SEC's questions. And they have the Wilson and Sincini law firm representing them. And if you download all their work back and forth and all the comments, you can see that they've really thought through the issues an a So I think we're about to get the first regulated a offering in the US. Once this gets approved, if it gets approved, I think it will be, the floodgate is going to open up. And everyone in this room should be prepared for the opportunity to conduct an a in the US. And I'll go through what this all means. So about me and this talk. I'm a U.S. attorney, U.S., actually I shouldn't say that. That means I work for the government. I'm a U.S. based attorney in California. Like I mentioned, I'm happy to share this presentation. And just again, this block filing has not yet been approved, so this is all a little bit speculative, but it's literally one of those any day things. Okay, mandatory disclaimers, I'm not your lawyer unless you pay me. I'm giving U.S. perspective. Uh, Don't break the law. You know, I call it the Noriega warning. Okay. Now, who's on Instagram or has kids who are in, on Instagram? Good. Thank God. Not you, sir? You? You're not on Instagram? Really? You look like someone who would be on Instagram. Huh? Why is that? Because you're hip and happening. You're now. You're, you're what's new. No, I don't know. Um, so there's a couple of terms that are on in Instagram and elsewhere. There's FUD, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's what Microsoft tried to do to Linux a few years ago. And there's FOMO, which is the fear of missing out, which is everyone else has a Lamborghini and you don't, okay? I think there's a lot of FUD about the U.S. securities laws and the SEC, but everyone's also fighting with FOMO because that's where a lot of the customers and where a lot of the investment capital is located. So I'm going to help you overcome the FUD so you don't get FOMO using Regulation D and Regulation A+. And as someone who strongly advocates for the crypto and blockchain markets, I want this revolution to succeed, and you need, in my opinion, U.S. capital and customers in order to do that. Okay, so I took securities law in law school and then, of course, practice it now. I'm going to squeeze down a semester of law school securities into about five minutes and charge you 0% of what I paid for a USC law degree. Who's happy about that? We'll see whether you're happy after I teach you securities law. <laughs> okay. So here's the U.S. securities law boiled down to just nothing. The key idea number one, the SEC does not have the regulatory power to define what a security is in the United States. Okay? The term security is a defined term. The core law in the United States that forms the basis of all securities regulation is the 1933 Securities Act, and of nearly equal importance, or maybe even of equal importance, is the 1934 Securities Exchange Act. Both of those laws define the term security and grant jurisdiction to the SEC to enforce law based on that definition. Okay, so the SEC does not have the unlimited mandate to f- define anything as a security. Sir, what's your name? It's also turned around. Rotka. I'm not pronouncing your last name. That's crazy. Rutger, are, are you a security don't don't think like a lawyer. Just give use logic, not law. No, you're not. If the SEC says you're a security, are you then a security? Oh, you sound like an SEC attorney. Okay, no, Rucker cannot magically turn into a security if the SEC says he is. Okay, security is a defined term, and you don't fall into any of the defined categories. All right, so you know if you look, I'm not going to bore you with. I have separate YouTube videos with long explanations of all this stuff. Security is a whole bunch of normal categories, you know, stocks, notes, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then there's sort of a catch-all category called investment contract. But whatever that set is, that set of things, if something lies outside that set, it's not a security. If it lies within that set, it is a security, for those of you who are into that kind of thing. Okay, now, that's big principle number one. Next idea is that the default rule, and this is what that freaks everyone out, the default rule in the U.S., the default rule, is that any Sale or offer of sale of a security, which is a defined term, in the U.S. must be registered registered with the SEC before it can move forward. So any sale or offer of sale, an offer is very, very broadly defined. Hey, you want my security? Okay, that was kind of an offer as far as the SEC is concerned. We didn't talk about any other terms, but what the heck. Okay, Rucker, you're, you're like in the... You're in the spit zone seat. you can get like a million questions. Okay. Um, so any, the default rule in the U.S. is that any public sale or offer of sale of securities must be registered with SEC. And if you don't register with SEC before proceeding, it is unlawful. Unlawful is SEC speak for potentially criminal, but definitely a boo-boo. Okay, so that boo-boo can either result in a lawsuit, regulatory action, or referral to a law enforcement agency. Oh, here's another one. Who thinks that the SEC can put you in jail? Yes, no, okay. The SEC is a civil regulatory agency. Okay, It is not a law enforcement agency. The SEC has no ability to stick someone in jail, bring criminal charges, any of that. In egregious cases like fraud, okay, they may refer a case to the US Department of Justice And then the FBI may investigate and take action, and and, uh, uh, criminal charges may be brought. Yes, sir. That's where it gets really interesting. So I'm going to basically hold questions for the end, but that's a good question. So in general, the disposition of U.S. securities law is that they're there to protect U.S. investors and U.S. market so there needs to be some level of nexus with the U.S. before the U.S. cares because the general perspective is that other countries have their own regulatory agencies and that we're not going to overreach and go protect those crazy French people, okay? But, but, but if they want to get you, okay, and you're U.S. somehow using, based in the U.S., or you're using a means of communication that's in the U.S., if they want to get you, Okay they can say that look you nice try but you're using the instrumentality of commerce within the United States to cheat these people outside the US and that's a violation it's a point of of contest there's actually a couple cases on this that've just recently come out but if you i think one case is if you if a country ha- requires that certain transactions take place through a broker or dealer and then you from the US don't use a broker or dealer in that country The SEC has the option of going after you. That's like an an example. So it's a gray zone. But for the most part, the SEC only cares about protecting U.S. markets and U.S. US investors. But, you know, you you can't wormhole your way through committing fraud and rely on that. Well, you know, I only cheated people who were not U.S. citizens. Uh Uh-huh. That's going to look real good. Okay. So general rule is public offerings must be registered with the SEC by the issuer. The issuer, this is a key term because this also relates definitely to blockchain and crypto. If I sell, if I'm an entity and I'm selling my own securities to the public or to private parties in what's called an initial distribution, my first sale, so that those sale proceeds come back to me, the issuer, and I use them in my cap table, I'm issuing securities. Okay, I'm differentiating that from secondary market trading, which is everything that happens after that initial sale. So public offerings must be registered if the issuer is selling securities. And Otherwise, it's unlawful. Okay, now, registering is tough. Okay, it's expensive, it's slow. It's gotten more tough over time. And for that reason, most of the time, by by the time you get around to a registered offering, it's usually a large-scale initial public offering or IPO. Now, the IPO market in the U.S. has dried up for a whole bunch of reasons. But it's worth keeping in mind that when companies used to be founded, or when companies were founded, the, the founders and initial investors were used to be looking to an IPO to, in order to get their liquidity at some point. So if someone would invest in a startup company, like a VC would invest in a startup company, with the hopes that six, seven, eight years down the road there would be an IPO and they'd have liquidity at that point. But if the IPO market is dried up in the U.S., how do you get your liquidity? Why? Wow, you, you go around the rules and you do blockchain. There you go. Okay, we'll talk about that. So IPOs, initial public offerings, registering offer real benefits, but they're usually... Vast overkill for a startup. Okay, you just finished the first third of a securities class in the U.S. All right. Now, here's a big, big uh, pitfall that a whole bunch of blockchain and crypto companies are walking right into and they don't even know it. The general idea is that after you do a registered offering, after you do an IPO, you're, the vast majority of the time can going to be considered what's known as a reporting company meaning that you don't just need to register your initial sale and go through all that fun times with the SEC. You now are under obligation to p- conduct yourself as a reporting company, as a publicly traded company. That means filing quarterly reports, annual reports, complying with Sarbanes-Oxley, all this other fun stuff that is very complicated. And you also have a whole another layer of fiduciary duties to your shareholders that you don't have if you can avoid registration. So generally, again, if, unless you're a large company, being a reporting company, under the SEC rules is a real hassle. I'm going too fast, too slow, right speed, audience feedback, okay. Too slow. Too slow. Jan, this is my buddy here. Okay, Do you wanna get in front of the camera so we can see your face since I'm pointing you out? No, okay, don't, don't be shy. Okay, so, here's the, here's the trap for blockchain companies and for crypto companies. Suppose you entirely avoid the United States. You go. I'm. am not going to sell to a single U.S. investor because they're freaky, and I don't want to deal with the SEC. Well, it's you don't just become a public reporting company by virtue of conducting an IPO. If a sufficient number of U.S. investors in aftermarket trading get their hands on your securities, you're now basically participating in the U.S. market. And even though you didn't do an IPO in the U.S., you now need to nonetheless register with the U.S. with the SEC as a publicly traded company in the the US. I'll say that again. Even if you completely do not sell to any US citizens or don't use a US nexus in your sale of securities, if in aftermarket trading, a certain number of US investors get their hands on your securities, you now qualify whether you knew it or not as a publicly traded company in the US because US investment market is now being affected by your actions. Who do those Americans think they are? Well, I don't know, but that's the law, okay? The, the rule, the basic rule, and more everyone always asks this, is if you get over 500 unaccredited investors, and we'll talk about that, you're now publicly traded in the US. If you go over 2,000 accredited investors, you're publicly traded in the US. It is real easy to go over both those numbers if you're selling crypto and not regular securities. Okay? You're gonna have crypto holders in the tens of thousands, hundreds, or millions easily, all right. So all these companies that did ICOs outside the US, uh, that's a problem. And like I mentioned, this happens as a result of secondary market trading. Okay, so you guys are doing, you're two thirds done with your US securities law class. Congratulations, okay. Now, everything I just said applies to regular securities, but it applies equally to security tokens. Now, there's, I think there was some debate back and forth about you know every token's a security token. Are you, are you a security token? No, turn your thing around so I just don't bother Rucker. Anthony, okay, are you a security token? You're not? Okay, if you pay dividends, are you? No, you might be, actually, if you pay dividends. Okay, but some, you know if you take a non-security asset and tokenize it, it doesn't magically turn into a security. And I'm gonna break conference protocol and mention something that came up in a conference, I mean, in one of the panels. Just because a token is tradable or exchangeable, that doesn't magically turn it into a security either. Don't believe that. Okay? Timeshares and condominiums are tradable, but they're not securities necessarily. Okay? Commodities are tradable, they're not securities. Things sold, my mother's shoes sold on eBay may be exchangeable, but they're not securities. Okay? The fact that something is exchangeable, the fact that there's a liquid market for something does not make a security without adding more facts. Okay, there's plenty of things on this planet that are exchangeable and tradable that aren't securities, even in formal public markets. All right, so someone's going to come up and kill me after the presentation, but that's okay. Okay, so let's think about a security token this way: it's a token that's purchased with a profit motivation, which provides an economic stake in the fortunes of the issuer. Remember what the issuer is, or the underlying platform. Okay, it often has functionality that's similar to a stock, a bond. But the key idea is it's some other passive form of investment. If a token only produces economic value for me based on my own efforts, that's not a security. That's not passive. Okay, if a token lets me work for money, for example, that is probably not a security, Okay. if it's my efforts that are producing the economic result. A utility token could be, by way of contrast, it's something that has independent use value. So anyone familiar with Microsoft Office 365 or Google Apps, if you put those platforms on the blockchain, and instead of selling software licenses, merely tokenized access, which they might very well do. Okay? Those are not security tokens. Okay, I'll just say that again. If you have Google Apps and you tokenize access to it, you didn't magically turn Google Apps into a securities platform. Okay, that's, just, that's a really easy way to think about a utility token. If the platform's worked, you can have access to it. Okay, you guys all got an A in US securities law. Congratulations. We'll have a graduation beer afterwards. Okay, so what are the top three techniques for avoiding the SEC and avoiding registration? Well, the first technique, and we'll, get it, we'll kind of dive into these because they all relate to A+. The first technique is you just don't sell security tokens. If it's not a security, the SEC has no jurisdiction. Okay, Contrary to what the SEC thinks, it doesn't rule the universe. The SEC can't declare war, can't raise taxes, can't regulate commodities, can't regulate access to forests. It only regulates securities. All right. And the usual argument that people make that, oh, my God, if we don't regulate it as a security, it's not going to be regulated. I don't know what drugs they're on, but at least in the U.S. and I'm sure in the EU, everything is regulated. Okay, The fact that something's not regulated as a security does not mean it's not regulated. Okay, Everything is regulated. Com- commodities, breathing, going in the bathroom, everything's regulated. So the fact that something is not regulated as a security doesn't mean it's not regulated. Okay, So don't fall for that argument. Okay, so... Technique number one is, well, you just don't sell security tokens. You sell utility tokens, for example. The other favorite technique is you prevent U.S. investors from participating in your initial private sale, ICO, IEO, STO, whatever you want to call it. For the reason we discussed, the fact that you can go public later in secondary market trading, that's not a good idea anyways. It's not a fail-safe, but we'll dive into this a little bit. The, The more solid technique for avoiding registration is to engage what's known as an exempt Offering exempt. So, if the default rule is that you need to register your sales or offer or sales of securities in the US and registration is bad, Ho- hopefully there's an exception. Hopefully there are exceptions, plural, and there are. There's many, 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 many carve outs from that rule. You do not need to fall into that default rule. It is rare to fall into that default rule. The right thing to do is to find an exempt offering exemption, what's called a safe harbor. and. Some of the favorite ones are Regulation D and Regulation S. So who's sort of, just like can engage my audience, who's heard of Regulation D and or S? Come on, you've heard of D. Private placements? Okay. You, sir, I know you have. Yes? Yeah, okay. So those are your top three techniques. Now, Regulation A+, I'd say, either improves on these or works in tandem with these. And it just became much more useful as of a couple years ago. Okay, so let's dive utility tokens a little bit. The law has gotten clearer and more, defu- more befuddled in the U.S. extremely recently. The SEC used to pretend that every single offering of tokens in the U.S. was a securities offering that should have been registered. Okay, Chairman uh, Jay Clayton said something to that effect when he was being grilled by the Senate. You know, he hasn't seen a single offering of tokens that isn't an IPO. And I just wanted to like go up to the DB and like, throw my die Coke at it because he's not lying. He's misrepresenting, let's say. Okay? But the SEC, having gotten slapped around by all these U.S. parties that are being like, why are you sending all our business to Malta, pushed on the SEC, and now the SEC has come out with two things, a, a no-action letter and also some guidance. In that no-action letter, they said that in a particular case, an issuance of tokens does, it does not qualify as an offering of securities and you don't need to register it. So they just admitted in public on the record that it's possible to not have a security token in the US. That is a big walk back from where they were before. And they also admitted that if you're selling a token in the US that's not a security, you do not need to register it with the US, uh, with the SEC. Um, but just exciting enough, two days ago, Kik got sued by the SEC. Kik is the uh, company that conducted an ICO in 2017 They claimed that their token was functional and not a security. The SEC basically invited them to provide a letter explaining why that's the case. It's called a Wells letter. Uh, Kirkland and Ellis, which is one of the most expensive qualified firms in the US, to write a Wells letter response, gave it to the SEC and basically said, OK, we double-dare you to sue us. And the SEC said, OK, hero, here you go. And they sued them. And this happened two days ago, so exciting times. Now, here's, here's the real conundrum with ICOs of utility tokens, and we'll get to kick in a second. Here's, here's the conundrum. We all agree that if a token has securities-like characteristics, it pays dividends. It gives you a vote in an enterprise. It gives you a claim on the assets of the underlying enterprise. We all kind of agree that's a security. That's uncontroversial. It is... A little bit more controversial, but I think clearly true that there is such a thing as a utility token. If you took Office 365 or Google Apps and you tokenized access to it, and that was all that was going on, it would be very, very, very hard to argue that that's a security. But let's go look at the middle ground. There's this pre-functional utility token conundrum. And the best example of this is what happened with Ethereum. Okay, so when Vitalik Buterin had the idea for this universal global computer, that, this unstoppable, unsentable uh, virtual machine. He didn't have it built already. It was an idea in his mind. And he went to the world and he said, hey, send me your, B- your Bitcoin, send me your fiat. I'll give you some Ethereum tokens or the right to receive some Ethereum tokens at a discount. I'm gonna use the money that you pay me, these funds that you pay me, I'm gonna use those funds to build the Ethereum virtual machine. And then once it's built, these ether tokens, this this ether, will be usable on that platform. It's like buying memberships to a health club at a discount before the health club gets built, having the funds used to build the health club, and then you can use the health club at what's worth maybe many times what you paid for it, but you help fund it, and now here it goes. So what Ethereum basically did was they sold pre-functional utility tokens. You can certainly use ether now. I mean, Ethereum works. Right? But when he initially sold those tokens, sold them at a discount, and they didn't work. So if you sell tokens that don't work yet at a discount and you're using the proceeds to build a platform that will then make those things work, is that a security or is that not a security? And the answer is no one in this room actually knows the answer. Okay, There's arguments both ways. Some jurisdictions, I think the UK, say that, no, that's not a security. You're just basically pre-buying health club memberships at a discount, why would that be a security? The U.S.'s position and many other countries' position is those pre-functional securities or pre-functional utility tokens are securities while they don't work. Yep. And then... I'll, I'll get there in just one sec. And so Heman... I'll flip ahead here. Came out a few months ago. Uh, this is one of the commissioners at the SEC. And he said... Is really interesting. He said Ethereum, he specifically spoke about Ethereum, said when the Ether was initially offered to the public, it probably was a security because the platform wasn't built yet. People bought those Ether with a speculative intent because they wanted to make a profit. But in the interim, the virtual machine has become sufficiently decentralized and functional so that even if those tokens were securities initially, they're no longer securities now. Now, think about how bizarre that is. I mean, how, that's like, it's like a quantum phase shift of securities. Something started off as a security and then wasn't at another point. I mean, what changed? It's the first time in the history of humanity that that's happened. Something can start off as a security. The situation can evolve. It can stop being a security. The token didn't change. Still ERC-20. What the heck? But there you go. So we have this new concept in U.S. law that something can shift. And just recently got discussed that something can change not only from a security to a non-security, but it can shift back into being a security if the circumstances are right. So who's a lawyer? Okay, your billable rate per hour just went up like three times. Are you happy? I mean, who can figure this stuff out? You had a question or a comment? Yeah, I read about the hurry yes. sure so the ha- so the definition of security is in section 2a1 of the 33 act and it lists a laund- it has a laundry list of all the no- normal typical security types you know stock note all that stuff there's one type in there called investment contract what the heck is an investment contract i don't know no it's a catch all category for hey even if we the congress aren't smart enough to specifically name what you're doing if in real life this thing is a security, we're going to say it's an investment contract. And then, therefore, it's going to fall within the definition and the rules apply. So it's a catch-all category. Now, the act itself, oh, you're like, oh, quick, I'm done. I don't need a lawyer. Well, the act itself doesn't define what an investment contract is. It left it up to the courts to decide what it is. So there's a very famous case that from 1946 called SEC versus W.J. Howey. And Howie was selling orange groves along with service contracts to service those groves where they would harvest oranges and sell them, pool the profits, and then share them out with all the different investors or buyers. And Howie probably didn't realize he was selling a security. It was, pr- it was probably innocent. But that's no defense under U.S. securities law. Yeah. So this got all the way appealed up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court, court came up with a four-pronged test about whether or not something is an investment contract. Is there an investment of money with an expectation of profit in a common enterprise with the results being generated from the entrepreneurial or managerial efforts of others? Okay, And I've got long YouTube videos on this, and you can just Google it. All right? But there's a four-pronged test. So tokens don't fall into one of the traditional categories in Section 2A1. There's no bond token, or there wasn't. So the real question was, are these tokens investment contracts? And the way that the people were figuring it out is they would apply the Howey test to these tokens in order to find out whether or not they were or were not an investment contract. Okay? And for the Howey test to apply, each one of those four prongs must be true. If any one of them is not true, it's not a security. Okay? So if you don't have a common enterprise, for example, it doesn't matter if there was an investment of money with expectation of profit, through the efforts of others. So there's no common enterprise. You just have a market. You don't have an enterprise. So let's look at Ethereum for a second because that's really interesting. When Ethereum started off and Vitalik was putting it all together, it was certainly centralized in the sense that you had the boss, the big boss, Vitalik and his minions, taking in the funds, building this platform, and adding the value. Okay. Then when Ethereum went live, uh, Commissioner Himans' argument is that it became sufficiently decentralized that it was no longer security. What he's really saying is the common enterprise element went away. If you get decentralized, I mean, is, is Bitcoin an enterprise? If it is, who's in charge? I mean, you can't, put, you can't shoot Bitcoin. You can't put it in jail. You can't sue it. You can't threaten its family. I mean, you know, if there's, a, there's a joke, you know, Henry Kissinger, the Secretary of State from the US, he used to say, if I want to call Europe, who do, I, who do I call? Like, you know, there's no one specific person to call. Well, if you want to arrest Bitcoin, who do you arrest? No one. That's a good test for whether something's centralized or not. But with Ethereum, it may have started off as centralized, but even if Vitalik and Ethereum Foundation went boom tomorrow, Ethereum can function on its own. It may not improve, but it can function. So good question. OK, so we have this interesting situation. So 99% of the ICOs that took place were pre-functional utility tokens. The idea was that they were going to sell these tokens, fund the building of a platform, and then once the platform became built, these tokens would be useful. The U.S. position is that those are securities at least before the platform gets functional and distributed. We're going to see how this plays into Regulation A+, and how I can really leverage this. Okay, moving right along. Yes, Kick ICO just got sued two days ago. Fun times in the U.S. All right, in terms of... Now remember, there's three techniques for avoiding registration. Technique number two is blocking U.S. investor involvement. Remember, the main issue is the secondary trading issue. But another issue is that all these exchanges, like, I don't wanna name them, but all the ones that are doing IEOs, that say that they're excluding U.S. investors, that say they're doing AML and KYC, that doesn't mean anything. Because if I'm an issuer and I'm violating the law and the SEC comes calling, these exchanges are not gonna offer a defense. You can't rely on what they said. And they're certainly not going to send an attorney to U.S. court to defend you. There's no indemnity. indemnity. If you break the law, you break the law. Okay, And you're not safe because, well, I thought that exchange was going to do it off in Malta. Yeah, good luck. Okay, so the idea that you're avoiding U.S. investor involvement is not a really good technique. Everyone should, however, drill in on exempt offerings. These are gold. I've worked with many, many clients who've raised tens of millions of dollars from the U.S. market without registering their offering with the SEC. Okay, exemptions are gold, especially Reg D. Okay, Reg D is a cluster of rules provided by the SEC. And the, the most beautiful rule on the planet is Rule 506C, which we'll talk about in a second. So Reg D previously exempted from registration certain small or private offerings, small in the sense of limited dollars, or small in the sense of limited investors, and so long as those investors were mostly accredited, which is short-term for wealthy or sophisticated, you didn't need to register that sale with SEC. You did not need SEC approval. Okay, Reg Ds are reasonably cheap, and they're great. They are traditionally referred to as private placements as opposed to public offerings. Now, the Jobs Act in 2012, and it got implemented in 2015, revolutionized Regulation D offerings. It used to be that you could not... Publicly advertise these. If you publicly advertise these, you blew your exemption. That has all changed. Okay? Under 506C, the new one, you can advertise your private placement to the entire freaking world and not lose your exemption. You can have internet platforms. You can place the ads in the Wall Street Journal. You can spam people. Well, you probably shouldn't, but you can. Okay? So long as you only consummate or complete the sale with verified accredited investors. Not just people who say they have wealth or say they have sophistication, but they prove it to you. So we're going to do a little, you're volunteering. What's your, Alex. Alex. So one of the criteria for being an accredited investor is having over a million dollars worth of assets, not counting your house. So are you accredited? Just say yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. That's called self-certifying. Alex, I believe you. I do. I have no reason not to. And really, please don't give me a reason not to. Okay. So... That's SAL that's certified accredited. Watch this. Alex, will you provide me your tax returns to prove that you have more than a million dollars of assets not counting your house? No. Okay, he failed to verify. Oh, bummer. I hope you have more, whatever. I wish you much luck. Okay, so with 506C, unlike the prior versions, you have to verify that your investor is accredited. You can't just take their word for it. But that makes sense. If you're inviting the whole world into the door, you're inviting the whole world to your club, but you're only letting inside people that you look at them and you go, okay, you're cool. Okay, and they're keeping the rest of the people outside. So even you know, these unaccredited investors can't claim any harm if they're never allowed to buy, right? So this got changed. You can now offer securities to internet platforms. It's fantastic. Now, still though, with Regulation D, there's a wrinkle, which is if I sell... Here, let's say you're accredited and you proved it to me. Thanks, Alex. You buy a million dollars worth of uh, Einstein.coin or Einstein.io tokens, right? Because you'll do that, right? Wouldn't it be nice if they went up in value and you could resell them five days later? Yes. Yes. No, but you can't do that, though. Because under 506C, they're trying to make sure that this is not a backdoor public offering. You have to generally hold on to them for at least a year under Rule 144. What if they go down? What if you want to invest in another ICO and you don't have funds because it's all locked up in Einstein tokens? That stinks, right? Uh, To use a legal term. Say yes to the audience. Yes. Okay, so that stinks. It's not as bad as it used to be, but you still have restricted tokens. We're going to talk about how A-plus gets around that. Now, just side note, part of the beneficial side effect of these restrictions is you won't become a publicly traded company by mistake. It's very hard to get to that 500 or 2,000 investor limit if there's restrictions on trading. So that's a beneficial thing. Okay. We talked about the rule 144. Okay, now, here's the fun stuff. Who likes the original Star Wars? Not the new ones, which I think stink, but the original ones. Does anyone in the room not like the original Star Wars? Are you serious? Are you serious? Oh, my God. I'm, Okay. Just pretend you liked it, okay? So, I'm gonna, this is some Jedi-level stuff. Um, Do you at least get the reference? Okay, thanks. No? This is some good stuff, all right, fine. So, regulation a lets you handle five issues with securities law in the U.S. and really make good use of the, regu- the exemptions and everything else. With a you can handle the general idea that you need to register security tokens you can specifically massage the issue of these pre-functional utility tokens. You can handle the restricted securities issue and not have to deal with that rule 144. You can deal with a lower standard of a reporting company, and you can stop, potentially stop being a reporting company and having to comply with all those rules on an ongoing basis. I'll show you how. Let's do a quick overview of Reg A+. The old Reg A, the one that existed until recently, was used very rarely, it was a real pain. Thank God, the same act that revised Reg D also revised Reg A, and now it's called Reg A+. Reg A plus has brought back the IPO market to the United States, at least with respect to small IPOs. Okay, the IPO market is now showing some life. There's two tiers to Reg A. Uh, tier one is the kind of old version, so forget that. Tier two lets you raise $50 million per 12-month period, and you can raise $50 million several times in a row. So you can do one Reg A+, another, and another. What's neat with that 50 million is it's not just the issuer selling its own securities, but if you're, here, we're gonna use you now, Michael. Suppose you're an early investor in my company, right? And now my company's selling its securities to the public. Wouldn't it be nice if you could also kind of piggyback on my sale and finally sell your securities also? Yeah, kind of like no-brainer, right? So with Reg A+, Michael can piggyback a part of my sale and say, you know what, company, I'm only going to sell $40 million of my own stock and issue that, but you can register 10 million. Actually, I'm doing the wrong math. Let's say you can do 5 million, got to keep it compliant, of your own stock. Okay, and then we can do it again and again and again. That's pretty good, right? Let's get liquidity. So like Rule 506C, you can advertise your reg A plus to the general public. You can do it on internet platforms. Unlike rule 506C, you can sell to everyone. Here, watch this. Alex, are you accredited? I don't care. You're everyone. With reg A plus, I can sell to everyone. I don't, need to, I don't even care whether you tell me you're accredited or not. Don't even talk to me. Just buy the stock. Right. So you can sell it to everyone, not just accredited. Now, of course, there's a you know more do, uh, detail and nuance. Let's see here. Okay, so just take your standard security token. Forget the utility part. You have a security token that's paying a dividend. It's clear security token. Well, people have been avoiding doing STOs in the US because they don't want to do a full registration. You don't need to anymore. So long as you're offering less than $50 million of your security token, do a reg A plus filing. It's a lot cheaper, it's a lot easier. Don't go with the full registration route. You can have all these advantages and you can keep on offering 50 million, 50 million, 50 million. This is great if you're tokenizing real estate, okay? A lot of real estate projects are under $50 million. So you make a a separate A-plus offering for each one of your real estate offerings, okay? uh, Tokenize your real estate and just do a series of under $50 million real estate uh, A-plus STOs. Instead of registering your sale with the SEC, you do something called qualifying, which is a lot simpler. And what's neat is when you qualify your A-plus, it's not a public document. You can submit it to the SEC and say, hey, SEC, give me your comments and feedback on a private basis. So if you're some high-tech startup and you don't want to reveal your inner secrets to the world until you're actually going to sell your tokens, that's a great way to proceed. Okay, now we're getting to like a little Jedi move here. Remember this idea that tokens that are pre-functional start off as securities and then sometimes stopping securities. Okay. Well, rather than using these offshore platforms, rather than doing an end run about around the U.S., I suggest you use Reg A plus for your pre-functional ICO sales. Right? So if Ethereum had done a Reg A plus, they would have been compliant. You can do your AML, you can do your KYC, you can not avoid the U.S., and you can basically do your ICO at that, that way and not get busted like um, Kik did. Like I mentioned, when you do your a plus sale, the tokens you sell are immediately tradable they're not restricted okay there's you can put them right on the market. they can go right on an exchange. you can trade them right back and forth, and there's no issue when you do an a plus offering you become a form of reporting company like when you like these other iPO companies, but the requirements are much much lower okay It's much easier to comply with the ongoing reporting requirements and if you're also something called An emerging growth company which is a whole separate category you can delay reporting to sec entirely okay and here's the final slide and this is worth a million dollars really it's worth a million this is how you put it all together i know you're waiting for this let's take your utility token ico let's say you're doing ethereum it's not functional now but it will become functional okay and you want to sell to the US public market, you want to do this ICO, but you don't want to deal with all the hassle of staying a public reporting company after your ICO. Well, what you do is you can use Regulation A+, raise the $50 million in the US, properly characterize your pre-functional tokens as a security, and use the funds to build your platform. But what happens then? Suppose you're successful and the platform starts to work and it's decentralized. The SEC has admitted, admitted that a token can start off as a security and then stop being a security once it reaches that threshold. Well, guess what? Once it reaches that threshold, you go to the SEC and you go, SEC, by your own words, I've now crossed this threshold. I'm no longer security. So, yes, I used Regulation A plus to do my initial compliant offering. But now, since I'm no longer a security, I don't want to have to comply with the public company reporting requirements anymore. You just quantum phase shift out of being a security and out of being a public reporting company. And you, you took advantage of the law to raise all the money, and now you no longer need to comply. You got it. Questions, can you explain it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll give you the deck. Who got that, or should I repeat? Repeat? No. Okay, you got it. We're going to switch to the questions. And I'm going to share that deck. You can, you can clap. Ask me anything about U.S. securities law. Go. Here's the
0: mic. Questions?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm $1,000 an hour. Ask now. We're not paying. No, that's the point. <laughs> You're, sorry, I'm normally $1,000 an hour. Ask now. So how does uh, SEC feel about this? Will they continue to allow this or are they going to break this? Okay, so like I said, this is somewhat speculative, but that's a great question. The, um, this is not breaking the law. This is what I call legal hacking which is you're taking totally legitimate law, just using it in a way that they didn't anticipate, but that's compliant nonetheless. And it's not some BS excuse. You really are no longer security. Okay, you really shouldn't have to comply anymore. And you really did comply with your initial offering. Now, are they gonna be happy about this? No, but you know what? They painted themselves into a corner with their stupid uh, point of view that that everything is a security and nothing is a utility. Okay, the SEC has painted themselves under a corner. And this exposes the cognitive dissonance of their position, if you like. Now, th- this is contingent upon the block stack uh, A-plus a+ becoming approved. If the SEC sort of stops the process before a STO even gets approved, then there's nothing more to say because you just really can't do it in the U.S. But I don't think that's going to happen because there's, it's under, the SEC is under so much pressure now because they really – people want to be blown, screw things up? They, you know, we're, the U.S. is behind when it comes to all of this stuff, and I think people are getting pissed off, and now they're under pressure from Congress people and senators. They're like, why are you sending all the business abroad? You're not being friendly. You're being scary. I mean, no. Just to beat it to death, I, I'm from Los Angeles. Okay, it's warm. It's bright. We have yoga. We have Slurpees. We have the beach. You know, everyone's walking around in yoga pants. It's great. Okay, why isn't the Ethereum Foundation set up in Santa Monica, California, where there's, like, palm trees and sunlight? Why is it in Zug? Is anyone from Zug?
0: <laughs> okay, I, I
1: haven't been there. I hear it's real exciting. No, it's not. Okay, why is everyone in Zug and not in Santa Monica? It's real easy because the U.S. scared them away. They'd rather be in Santa Monica, obviously. Okay, so, and everyone realizes that. And why is that multi-billion-dollar company there, and not here? So I, I think yes, it's waiting for that A-plus approval. But once that first one goes through, this is the next logical step. So I'm giving you a preview of the future. And I think there's a question there.
0: Let's do two more questions and then the rest and then, of the and, questions. Then more questions. and then more questions during lunch. If you can pass the mic. Hi, my name is Roar Blanke. I have a question. Sure. Can there also be some value or a business uh, a trigger to choose for becoming a real security? Because we're now uh, trying absolutely. to prevent becoming a security, we're gonna, but I can also imagine that it can help you in selling your tokens mm-hmm. if everybody knows, okay, they are regulated by the SEC. I think,
1: right, and I didn't want to give the wrong impression. Security, I am a big fan of security tokens. I think legacy securities are going to die. I think we're going to move into a software-based securities world, and that's the way it should be. Right, I, am, I support that 100%. And Reg A Plus applies perfectly well to STOs, and like I said, if you tokenize real estate, that's not a pre-functional security token. That's a real security token, and this is a great new way to raise capital in the securities markets. So, so don't get me wrong. Also, I, I advise a whole bunch of these companies, and when they when they are designing, the thing I hate is when they change their business model to avoid the application of securities law. Okay, because if you have your perfect token design with like a head, two arms, and two legs, and you're like, oh wait, I don't want to be security. I'm going to chop off this arm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really make sense. Now, now you have a crippled token a crippled economy. Out of some vain attempt to avoid regulation. It's like, be the, be the token you want to be, okay? And, then, you know, just live, you know, <laughs> no, seriously, <laughs> sir, just be, just let, fo- let loose, it's okay. No, be the token you want to be, and then comply with the law. But, it, you know, if the token you want to be is, I have a great idea for a platform that's a utility platform, I don't have it built yet, I want to raise funds to build it, and then let the people who contributed funds use the platform, I think that's pretty legitimate. And I think the U.S. was stupid, to be blunt, for characterizing that as a security. I mean, I understand the logic, and I've discussed this, but I think you can go both ways on this. And the, by going the way the SEC went, we scared everyone off the Zook. Okay, so they need to back off that. But security tokens by themselves are perfectly valid. There's a there's a use case for paying dividends. There's a use pay case for allowing your securities to get acquired by another company issuing securities. There's a use case for investing in a company and using that investment to grow the assets. Those are all, that's all great. It's just, it's, it's a different animal. Nils. Last yes, second to you. last question.
0: <laughs> I'm honored. Uh, my name is uh, Kaspar, Kaspar Gulovs, and I want to thank you for a great presentation. Kaspar, uh, you know they named the Ethereum proof of stake model after you? Yes, they did. Okay. I'm honored about that as well. Um, And and it's very clear how regulation A plus is uh, providing an uh, opportunity to create security tokens that are freely Mm. uh, tradable. Uh, Whereas normally with security tokens, it will be a little bit more restricted to who gets the uh, tokens. Um, I want to ask you about um, the the possibly upcoming regulation uh, recommendation from the FATF on... um, where all the virtual asset service providers need to track uh, with any transfer of a virtual asset, which includes cryptocurrencies and security tokens, Mm. um, they need to track both the originator and the beneficiary, and they need to uh, keep that information available. uh, Which agency?
1: What's that? Which agency?
0: You said from... Uh, uh, the Financial Action Task Force. Right, okay. It's the. No, I, I got it. I yeah, just didn't hear yeah, you. Yes, yeah, sir. Um, so that then then uh, uh, parties are, g- are going to be obliged to keep track of exactly uh, who sends what security token to whom, mm-hmm. and when it's freely tradable, I see there. Sounds like we finally found a good
1: use case for the blockchain. Sounds like what? We finally found a good use case for the blockchain.
0: can, can you explain?
1: Yeah, the blockchain seems to me to be perfect for implementing what you just described. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. Keeping track of So why what are we all no, why
1: are we all here? <laughs> now I mean I I'm yeah, I'm, I'm kidding yeah, with uh, you a little bit, but it's like it that's the point. Right? And if you someone made the comment um, in one of the panels before that don't mistake digital securities for bearer instruments. They're not bearer instruments. Okay? You can you have this beautiful I mean, if you want to talk about a, a trackable asset, look at Bitcoin. That's, you can't get more trackable than that. I mean, every single little move is trackable. Right? The, the only question is attribution, you know, tying in the wallet ID to human. But that's a small step because you can easily have a permissioned blockchain where you need to do that KY, you know, KYC, AML, in order to get on the blockchain. Or you have a consortium blockchain where you have people that are onboarding identities and maintaining those identities. So... Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, with 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 Bitcoin and many
0: cryptocurrencies, it's, it's fully traceable uh, where it goes. But uh, here we're talking about ident- identifying information, and that's what, especially in cryptocurrencies and and the blockchain community. I think a lot of people I, again. I think about. someone else.
1: P- well, Sorry. I understand the concerns. Thank you. I mean, look, and again, the crypto. I think it was mentioned before. The cryptocurrency use case is valid, but that's different from the securities use case. Okay, it's a different use case. Okay, and blockchain is just a tool, it's just a, it's just a data structure, it's just a form of a linked list. Right? So you can use that, that data structure primitive, if you like, in different contexts. And just because you use it in con- or case one, that doesn't mean that you're gonna use that exact same solution for case two. Right? And the thing you're talking about, about turning these things so they're not bearer, You know, in, in a sense, cryptocurrency is a bearer instrument. You either have it or you don't. It's either a new wallet or it isn't. That gets to the discussion previously about centralized versus decentralized, but I think you can actually have a decentralized blockchain or decentralized network that nonetheless implements certain restrictions and regulations so that it's not a bare instrument but it's compliant with all the law. I want to take one more question. I feel like it. So give me one bonus. One, One, give me a zinger. There's a zinger, I can see that expression.
0: Okay, so thank you for your uh, speech. I sense that the force is very strong with you, so I want to challenge you to make a prediction on, let's say that this has happened for the first time, the Jedi move. Um, Good man. What do you think the SEC will do after that? So they have seen that this is apparently possible. What will they then implement to, you know, get a great feeling about
1: themselves after that? Well, I hope they decide this is not the droids they're looking for. <laughs> okay, so half of them got it, okay, thank you. got it. Um, what you know, there's the, it's a good question. There's the conflict between what they would want to do and what they're going to do. Like I mentioned, they're under huge political pressure, and they should be, for what they're doing. It's just wrong. And it's, they're actually going against their statutory mandate, because remember I mentioned that in Section 2A. Section 2A is all the definitions. In 1995, the U.S. Congress went to the SEC and said, why are you being a bunch of jerks? and they actually added Section 2B, and that's in the 33 Act and the 34 Act. And it says when doing a rulemaking, the SEC will, in addition to taking the concerns of protecting investors in mind, will also take into mind, I think it was innovation, competitiveness, basically the functioning of the capital markets. Well, the functioning of the capital markets in the U.S. is impaired right now because it has these retrograde rules from almost a century ago, and you're seeing other countries and other Conglomerations of countries, if you like, pushing ahead, and we're in this polyarchic world where the US doesn't dominate anymore, and more of the US dollars is under threat. Right? To add this sort of like, you know, our way or the highway attitude doesn't work, especially when you have congresspeople and legislators that are getting donations from large crypto industries going, hey, lean on this regulatory agency to change their tune. Now, there's been, you know, Reg A, you know, 50 million is nice, but it's not that nice. I mean, I personally think Reg A should be up to a 250 million, okay, that is getting back into sort of IPO territory, right, and I think qualification is definitely less strict than registration, but it needs to become even less strict after than that. I want to protect investors, but I think there's ways to do that that are more efficient than what the SEC came up with. The, you know, are they going to have to pull back from their position that a security can stop being a security when a certain situation takes place? They can try, they can try, but that defies logic. Now, you know, it is regulat- It is a regulator. They can defy logic all day long. That's what regulators do. But it's fantastically difficult to argue that Ether is a security. I mean, just, I mean, based on what? So I guess the answers we'll see. I hope they go for it, but even if they don't, it's one of those beautiful situations where you can use their own words against them. All right, thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. Thank you, Gordon. Thanks, man.
0: Thank you for listening to the CMS podcast. Did you enjoy this podcast? Please visit our podcast channel and use the subscribe button to stay up to date on legal content. Until next time.